suspicion, every contrary drive comes from the body, as we shall see shortly. But the new man who lives inside the dead body is a slave to righteousness. He is, it is a slave to God. It is holy. And holiness is the only thing it can produce. I just might say in passing, this truth is the, the fundamental basis on which the Apostle John is able to say in 1 John chapter 3, everyone who is born of God does not sin because God's seed abides in him and he is not able to sin because he is born of God. He's not talking about the total person. When he talks about the total person, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But when he talks about the inner man, the the persona that is reborn by the regenerating work of God, he says that inner man, that regenerate self, does not sin and can not sin. Are you surprised that John and Paul agree in this doctrine? Although expressing it quite differently, they mean it exactly the same way. I like to ask people, don't you see this doctrine in Galatians 2.20? Remember it? I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What kind of a life does Christ live? Sinless. The only way to express the inner man that is born again is through holiness. That The inner man can, cannot express itself otherwise. Everyone who is born of God does not sin, cannot sin. You are slaves to God. You are slaves to righteousness. But we live in a dead body. You follow me? I have, for the last year or two, finally come out of the Neolithic Stone Age into the computer age. For years and years, people have been telling me, saying you want to do your writing on a computer instead of on tablets by hand. And I said, that sounds good in theory, but, you know, uh, I've been doing it this way for years. But finally, 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 they, they introduced me to the computer. And now I can sit at a computer. But I, I, I have to tell you that I'm a novice at the computer. And you know what? Sometimes the computer doesn't function the way I tell it to. Sometimes the computer is very stubborn, and I punch in a command, and I'm amazed at what I get, or I just get a notice on the screen, can't find this file, can't do this operation, mistake. <laughs> uh, and uh, sometimes the computer does things that I want it to do. And there is a sense, my friends, in which the physical body in which we live is a badly programmed computer. It is programmed with sin, as we shall see shortly. And even though the new man always wants to do the right thing, the machine doesn't work that way very easily. That's just another way of saying the body is dead because of sin. Now, as Paul has already made clear to us, we are able to live the Christian life now because we're not under the law but under grace. 
And there's a little excursion here in chapter 7 into the subject of the law. And the first uh, unit of this section, which is Romans 7, 1 to 6, tells us in essence that we we have died to our old marriage partner, <laughs> which was the law, and we have been remarried to him who rose from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might bring forth fruit to God. Verse 4 of chapter 7. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Paul says it was absolutely necessary to break the old marriage relationship with the law and to establish a new marriage relationship with the one who rose from the dead because it is your union with him in his death, burial, and resurrection, which is the secret of bearing good fruit for God. Now, that leads to the second major consideration. If that's true, something must have been wrong with the law, right? We were married to the law, and we couldn't really live to please God until we that marriage was broken. It's like having a bad spouse, right? No. In this unit of the chapter, the apostle is informing us that there was nothing really wrong with the law, but what was wrong was wrong with us. <laughs> and uh, he goes into a little bit of detail here. As it turns out, what is wrong with us is the body in which we are living. Notice verse 9. For I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And then he goes on to say how the commandment which was intended to be to life became to death. Almost every Christian, I would say every Christian, has had this experience at one time or another. After they were saved, maybe not very long after they were saved, they were living happily in fellowship with God and enjoying their newfound Christianity. And then suddenly, some older brother or older sister in the Lord said, you shouldn't be doing that. And all of a sudden, it was like letting the air out of a balloon, and we found ourselves no longer enjoying the freshness and vitality of our fellowship with God, and guess what we were focused on? I'm not supposed to do that. I didn't realize that was wrong. Do I really want to do that or not? <laughs> the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Notice verse 18. What we discover when we become focused on the law, even as Christians, is that the body is impervious to our holy desires. Let's look down at verse 18. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. What I discover now is I'm focused on the law, I'm focused on the command, and I can't get the body to cooperate. What I want to do, the body will not do, and what I don't want to do, the body will, in fact, do. What is the result of this? 
suggested in verses 24 and 25. But let's read from verse 22, which is the sum and substance of it. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. My inner man, which is enslaved to righteousness, is delighted with the law of God. But I see another law in my members, the members of my body, of course, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. The computer doesn't work. I want it to do this, and it does that. I don't want it to do that, and it does this. It does it anyway. (laughs) The computer doesn't work. I find in the members of my body a contrary law that wages war with the innermost desire that the new man has and wins. (laughs) And wins. Notice what it says here. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So now he's reached the pits. And he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The body is what? Dead. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. I remember reading a missionary biography uh, about A.T. Pearson, who went out to Africa to minister to the natives in Africa. And many of them were led to the Lord and Then the uh, biographer says uh, they began to come, it may have been uh, Pearson himself that was writing this, they began to come to Pearson, and they said, uh, me no want to do what's wrong with me, do it anyway. I'm obviously uh, adopting a stereotypical dialect there. Uh, Me want to do right, but me can't do it. And Pearson made this interesting observation. He said they didn't know a single thing about Romans 7, but they were in it. They were in it. Every Christian goes through Romans 7. Because, you see, the easiest thing for us to do in the Christian life is to think that the Christian life is done by just screwing up our resolve and stirring up our determination and getting it done. And God allows us to go through a sufficient experience to discover that it doesn't work that way. When we really come to collide with the programming of our dead bodies, what we discover is without the assistance of God, the body wins. That leads us to Romans 8 and to the final overhead for this evening. I think it will be best for us this evening to stop before the uh, suffering section and to do the moral living section. We'll pick it up in the last half of Romans 8 next time. We obviously have reached a point in Romans 7 where the apostle himself is recording his own experience and he is baffled by it. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, hmm, <laughs> I thank God.
Jesus Christ does that. That leads us to the opening statement of Romans 8.1. And may I say two things before I read this? The word which we met in chapter 5 about punishment, penal servitude, occurs here. And when I read the verse, I'm going to change it to include that. And the last part of the verse about walking according to the flesh uh, and the spirit belongs in the text, despite what you may have heard to the contrary. It is found in the overwhelming majority of the Greek manuscripts of Romans and belongs here. So now let's read it. There is therefore now no penal servitude. What penal servitude? To the body. <laughs> We've just been talking about it. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? There is therefore now no penal servitude to those who are in Christ Jesus, but it does not stop there. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In order to experience deliverance from the punishment, the penal servitude which sin imposes, we must learn to walk according to the Spirit. Now the Spirit is introduced as the critical influence and person in the life of the Christian. Notice how he proceeds. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, I am alive in Christ, has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on, a, flesh on account of sin, or as a sacrifice for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. He put sin under penal servitude. That the righteous requirement, this is the word we met back in chapter 5, righteous action. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All right, we already begin to see the solution here. While I attempted to do it in my own strength, and I attempted to force the body to do what I wanted it to do, I failed. But now, I have a partner. And my partner is the Holy Spirit. And what I must do, therefore, is learn to walk according to the Spirit. Because then the penal servitude can be lifted. Then the bondage to sin can be broken. And as we've already seen, the dead body can become a vehicle for the life of God. But, part and parcel of walking according to the Spirit is having a spiritual mindset. Let me repeat that. This is number two on the overhead. Part and parcel of walking according to the Spirit is having a spiritual mindset. Let's look at it. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, we can supply again, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally or fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the fleshly mind is enmity against God, 
For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh, meaning unsaved people, cannot please God. Notice here that the apostle is advocating the spiritual orientation of the inner faculty of the mind. The spiritual mind that those who are after the spirit set their mind on the thing of the spirit, on the things of the spirit. Now, I have to admit to you that the Greek word that is used here, and which is used here for the first time in the book of Romans, is hard to adequately convey in any single English translation. It isn't just that we are being told to think about these things. It isn't just that we're told to investigate them. It's that we have a mentality that is oriented to them. The same word occurs in uh, Colossians, uh, I think it's uh, chapter 3. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits. The old uh, AV has set your affections on things above. The New King James Version has set your mind on the things above. Let's look at some other scriptures which also essentially say the same thing. Uh, turn, if you will, to uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. We've already quoted uh, Colossians here. 2 Corinthians 3. The context, of course, is Moses gazing at the countenance of God on Mount Sinai. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, I think the reference here is to Scripture, the preceding context I think supports that, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And when I look into the mirror of the Word, the Spirit wishes me to see the glory of Christ. And as the Holy Spirit shows me the glory of Christ, I am being transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ by the transforming work and power of the Holy Spirit. What we are talking about here is not something that we can bring to pass on our own. It is obvious, I think, that we are saying that I have to turn my attention and I have to turn my interests to the things of God and to the things of his word. I have to go to the word to see the Lord Jesus Christ and to see the, the nature of my relationship to him, the experience that I should have in him and all of these things. But... The Holy Spirit must make those things vital, real, powerful, and transforming. The great difference between law and grace is that under law, there is no empowerment within the law. And the law says to me, do it. And if I can't do it, tough, I condemn you. Grace says, here is what the Lord Jesus Christ means to you. <laughs> Here is the one who has saved you. Here is the one who has called you. Here is the one who is seated uh, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on him. Set your affections on things above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. 
For you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Now, I can quote that to you, and there may be people out in the audience to whom it means almost nothing. It's just words. Just words. But if that excites you, if that thrills you, then the Holy Spirit is working with you. One of the things that I learned from teaching seminary is that you can take the Bible and you can make it a textbook and it has no more impact on you than any other textbook almost because you are coming to it as a person who's investigating it and taking it apart and analyzing it and learning it. And you have no sense of the need of the Holy Spirit to take the truth that you are dealing with and to make it real and vital, dynamic, and transforming. The Christian life, my friends, is not a do-it-yourself experience. The Christian life is partnership with the Holy Spirit. It is partnership with the Holy Spirit. And I have to realize that if the Holy Spirit does not work with me through the Word, I'm not going to get changed. What does that imply? It implies that, for one thing, I start praying about the Holy Spirit's work in me, right? If I don't give the Holy Spirit any time in the Scriptures, how is He going to use the Scriptures to transform me? Right? Some very obvious steps can be taken here. But finally... Only the Holy Spirit can do it. Only the Holy Spirit can change you. You must be open to the Holy Spirit. You must be desirous of his transforming ministry, but you will not pull it off alone. He's the one who does it. That brings us back to our initial overhead and to the conclusion of our talk tonight. The Christian life is a miracle. But here we are, living people inside of a dead body, and I cannot overcome the programming of that body by myself. However, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, then the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead can also quicken this mortal body. He can overcome the spiritual deadness of this body. He can reprogram me, if you want computer terminology. He can transform me. And he can make my physical body a vehicle through which the will of God is accomplished. Amazing. Wonderful. But we need him. And we can't do it without him. Okay. Let's uh, ask some questions. We went a little longer than usual tonight, but we'll take a few minutes for questions. Yes, right down here. Okay, I think one of the things we need to keep in mind is that if we approach the scriptures with our mental faculties alone, just trying to study them and figure out what they said, we could probably go a long way in the scriptures just figuring out what they said. And in fact, there's a whole cottage industry of liberal scholars who are doing exactly that. They churn out book after book after book on the Pauline epistles, uh, on the Petrine epistles, on the Johannine epistles, and on the New Testament, its background. They, their lives are given to the study of, of the Bible. 
But in some cases, they're not even saved. In other cases, they're not being even transformed by that. Why? Because they're doing this without the Holy Spirit. So the issue is, whatever I do and however far I go in the Scriptures, I must do it in the company of the Holy Spirit. And I must rely upon him to make these things real, vital, dynamic, motivational, and transforming. Yes. Oh, you've used it correctly. I, I had it in the, uh, in the chart there, and uh, uh, due to pressures of time, I skipped over it. You'll notice that the preceding verse says, But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end, that is, the result of the holy fruit is everlasting life. Now the question is, why is that possible? <laughs> the answer, for, because, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And the word gift immediately carries us back to Romans 5. Now, I have heard some people who have grasped the idea. I'm glad you brought that question up, by the way. That, I, I really shouldn't be allowed to get out the door without addressing that question. I have heard people bring up Romans 6.23 and say it's right in the middle of a Christian living section, and therefore it doesn't refer to salvation. It, it refers to Christian living. I beg to disagree. The context is larger than Romans 6. The context was all the way back to Romans 5.12. And it is in Romans 5.12 and following that we have the word gift used repeatedly. And uh, the free gift is righteousness, but it's also the righteousness of life. <laughs> Life's righteousness. So Paul's concept is that uh, with justification, there is the impartation of eternal life as part of the free gift of God. And that is why it is possible for me to experience eternal life when I live for God. So I, I urge you to keep on quoting this verse to unsaved people. I do it all the time. Thank you. I think that's probably good enough for tonight. Uh, thank you for your attention to a rather long discussion. Tomorrow night, hopefully, uh, the discussion won't be quite as long, and you can wrap up some of the questions that you may think of overnight. Let's uh, close in the word of prayer, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for your word, which confronts us, first of all, with the reality of your grace to us, but reminds us of the weakness that we have, that we are individuals, though born again, living inside a body that is dead and impervious uh, to your will and to your purpose, apart from the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that we may never fall into the trap of thinking that we can live the Christian life just by deciding to do so. But we pray that we may always rely upon the fact that we are indeed alive to you through Christ our Lord and that the Holy Spirit lives in us and can help us to express what we are through the physical body in which we live. And realizing the struggle that we will always have with the physical body, we are anxious for the day when our body itself will be transformed into the likeness of our Savior's own glorious body. And then our bodies will be perfectly conformed to what we are already as those who are alive in your Son. Hasten that day, and in the meanwhile, help us to experience your transforming power. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.